Hello and welcome to God's Word During Exile. We are a group of pastors that get together to study God's Word. And right now we've been going through Luther's small catechism. And we are in the process of finishing up, I guess, dare I say this, finishing up the Ten Commandments. We've made it. How many episodes are we into this, Mike? I believe this is 25, if memory 25, so not bad. So that means by 100 episodes... But Mike, do we ever really finish with the Ten Commandments? I mean, you never really fully finish because they are so prominent in our lives. Wait, are you saying you as in all of us or as in Ben doesn't finish them? Strictly just me. Oh, okay. You as in the third person you, (laughs) which is me. I'm more confused than when I asked the question. 100%. (laughs) You in the third person is the same as the first person. Yes. Yes. There you go. So instead of referencing me from here on out as Mike, you can literally just call me you. You will be both my pronoun and my... No, see, now we're really getting confused. (laughs) All right, so anyway, we're going to get out of those weeds before we go any further. Um, yeah, so that means if we're 25 episodes in by episode 100, we're going to finish the catechism. That doesn't seem right. Well, we'll see if that checks out. And on episode 100, uh, either Jason Goodham will be like, see, I told you so, or, uh, perhaps I'll be right. So how many episodes in are we now? 25. You know, and so there'll probably be, you know, at least. Four times as many of that just on the creed alone. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. We're happy that you're still putting up with us and still listening to us and you're encouraged by it. I did hear from a listener that said, Mike, you know what you haven't done in a while? Failed miserably to point out. Oh, no, no, wait. Sorry. You know what you haven't done in a long time? And I said, what? What haven't you done in a long time? And uh, and they said, you know, you haven't pointed out where each person is in this, the Hollywood squares of our Bible study. And so I'm going to do that today. And, and I think I am confident that I'm going to win. So Mike Hussey is right above me. One for one. One for one. Look at me go. Look at this. Now, here we go. Now, it's only 50% from here. Matt Nelson up in this corner. Ben Baker right next to me. Where's you? You being this guy here. Four for four. Four for four. He's got it. What a great day. And you know what's the worst about this? There have been times in which Mike has broken the Eighth Commandment and lied to me. And I've gone and I've watched the episode just to watch me <laughs> fail miserably at this. But he loves to encourage me. So this could be totally wrong. And it would not be in the sphere of Mike, <laughs> which definitely hurts you's feelings. You is very sensitive. Oh, no. oh, what have we done? Oh, All right, that's where I'm at. I think we need to open in prayer in order to save that's this. Mean that. That's where you's at. That's where you's at. Thank you. Him. You did a very nice job. 
with the opening. We appreciate you. All right, let's go to prayer. <laughs> Father God, thanks for today. Lord, thank you for every good gift that you give. Um, so many times, Lord, as we as we look at our lives and we look at our situations, we fail to see all that you have given us and all that you have blessed us with. And we look at what other people have and desire those gifts that they have received from your hand and rather than those that you have given to us. Help us to see all those good things today and to praise you and give you thanks for it as you deserve and to just rest and trust in your provision in our daily lives, uh, knowing that you love us and care for us and have provided for us more richly than we deserve, um, not just in material things, but also through your son who lived, suffered, died, and rose again that we might have life and life eternal in him. God, um, strengthen our faith, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Ben, do you have your catechism sitting right in front of you? Would you mind? Ben has our... the catechism memorized. Let's well, just get that straight. Quote from memory, uh, then, the ninth and 10th commandments and the meanings, if you would. Sure. Ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. That was remarkable, Ben. Your memory is perfect. That was word for word. And it was almost like I could see your eyes moving, almost like you were reading from your memory. That was fantastic. <laughs> works. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Hey, use. Yes. I want your ox. So give it to me. You know what? I would <laughs> gladly give it to you. Thank you for asking. For it. And you asked so politely, too. <laughs> Um, actually, I did have a question. Donkey, if too. I can just if I could just derail us right from the get go, all right. So <laughs> I I always have people ask me why we separate these two commandments into nine and ten, and why we <clears throat> don't separate in the the beginning portion of the ten commandments about using the Lord's name in vain and idols. And so I was wondering if we could talk about that just for a little bit. I, I think first, pause your video and go to Exodus, find the passage where the Ten Commandments are listed and try to number them yourself without having your catechism or any other helps open. It's a really fun exercise if you've never done it, because I bet you'll come up with like nine or 12 and not mm -hmm. 10. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So... And Oh, as I said, part part of it is, um, you know, so the way that, you know, these way that this content is spoken of, um, you know, with the the Jewish people, for example, is the the ten words, right? And and we get that from that's what Decalogue means, right? The ten words, and the first the first word is, "I am the Lord your God." took you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? And so if we numbered them in that way and began, and that was the first word, then we would have both, you know, the, 
you know, the statements about, you know, worship of God alone and, and some of the fleshing out of that would be a single word and the coveting would also be a single word. Um, so in that way, you know, that would probably tighten it up a little bit, but um, we, in the Lutheran church, we number them the way that, that we do simply because that's how, how it was numbered in the medieval Western Catholic church. And we didn't see any need to, uh, to change them. And so either, either way, unless you, like I said, unless you were to completely overhaul it and, and make the, you know, the first word, you know, the, I am the Lord, your God, um, you're going to have to choose then if you want 10 words, you're going to have to choose, do we combine here or do we separate here? And so, um, so like with the, the having no other gods and the, and the graven images kind of things, you know, we have just understood them that the, the graven image stuff um, is an expansion of having no other gods. Um, you know, just as there are, are other there are additional explanations, you know, like you said, Mike, if you go to Exodus 20, for example, and you go through, it's not like there's just one after the other 10 words there, there's also additional explanations and such. And so, so all of us to some, to some extent, um, include additional material under a single commandment. Um, and so in this case, the, the, you know, two different aspects of covenant. We have in the, you know, what we call the ninth commandment, the very succinct statement, you shall not covet. And then in the, what we call the 10th commandment is a further uh, expansion of that. Um, whereas in the, you know, so then in the first commandment, like I said, with the, the graven image stuff, we, we just include that with the first commandment. Whereas in the reformed numbering of things, um, the tenth commandment is just re in regard to coveting, so they have uh, put both of those together, and they have distinguished no other gods and graven images, and so it's all the same content. We just have summarized in different parts, but but probably the neatest way would be to understand that first word is "I am the Lord your God." brought you up out of the land of Egypt, but that would also then kind of, it's one of the, I think it's one of the unfortunate, uh, you could say accidents of history or of language that we speak of them as the 10 commandments. Um, because, because in scripture, they're, they're just simply the 10 words. And that allows us to include the statement of, you know, God's mercy and grace, his action in taking us out of Egypt. Um, because then we just have 10 words. We don't have a conflict of, well, commandment has in our minds, it is often very much just, you know, narrowly associated with you must do this. And God's statement that I've taken you out of Egypt is not a, you must do this, but I have done this for you. And so some of it's just kind of, you know, how, how language has, you know, developed in that way and how we've come to talk about it um, can make it a little tricky in trying to organize it. Um, and so I think in that, in that vein of, of kind of setting them up, trying to emphasize the, the binding nature of them as commandments, um, has kind of pushed us to, to leave off that first 
gospel statement and just focus on the content of the the commands. But those are just some of my my thoughts with yeah. With and that. I think but we are we are covering the same material. I don't know if you guys have any. Yeah, I think we miss quite a bit by not having that first word be, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of Egypt. Because I don't know about you guys, but especially when I was a little kid and I was growing up, the Ten Commandments, in my mind, were the way that I made God happy with me, right? These ten things that I have to do my best to make God happy with me. Um, But when you've got that context of, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, and all the history and the promises that are connected there, promises of the Messiah and everything else— it, it it changes your relationship completely with the commandments. To these are no longer the things I do to make God happy with me, but God loved me so much and made me His people, and so this is the way I live my life. And it becomes a response to the gospel rather than a desperate try to earn the grace of God. Yeah, and uh, it's been argued that grammatically these aren't commandments anyway; they're indicative statements. And so they would not read like a command as in do not have any other gods before me, uh, but you do not have any other gods before me. Um, or you will and, not as a, yeah, or you will not. This, yep. Yeah. Describing how it will be like, like you said, indicative, this is the situation, not do this. Right. Which is a a more layered, rich understanding because it doesn't narrow it down to just this rule of what you can't do. It is saying who you are in your identity as somebody redeemed from Egypt, made uh, one of God's people. He's making them a nation. He's telling them what their identity is and will be. Uh, as a redeemed, set-free person who is going to live differently based on who God is and is making them to be. And it still acts in the same function as that command, though, where if you break it, you are now going against God's will and the identity he's given you, and so you're still in trouble. It's still a problem, but it's much more rich and full than just calling it a command, I think. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Just about the numbering, I mean, it's confusing if you're going to look grammatically at all the statements and count them based just on that, then you're going to um, have situations where you're going to be saying, if you skip over the I am the Lord your God part and just start, you should you shall have no other gods. Okay, there's one, you shall not make yourself a graven, a carved image. There's two, you shall not bow down to them. That's three. And so on, and then you get to the what we call the nine and ten, and there's you shall not covet uh, your neighbor's house, and then again you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and the list goes on. So if you're going to count with all the you shall nots or you will nots, you're at like thirteen or something like that. So, but the thing that that's important to remember is whether you're using the Jewish counting, which we all tend to like. Uh, the Western churches, the the Catholic Church and Lutheran counting, or the Reformed counting, none of us are leaving any of it out, except mm-hmm. you could argue that we tend to, in the Western church, the Catholic and Reformed, <laughs> we tend to not always quote the I am the Lord your God part, which we find problematic. Otherwise, we're all including all of the the words and we all do hold that all of them are right and true. I did have 
I think I've shared this before, but I did have somebody come to our church in Salinas, California, where I did my vicarage or internship and, uh, and accuse me as a Lutheran of ignoring the part of graven images and so on and throwing that out of the Bible and not teaching it. And rest assured, we all agree that all of Exodus 20 is biblical and it right and should be taught. So Matt, you brought up something really important. You talked about this is uh, this is our identity. This is who we are as God's people. And in today's world where identity is so often based on um, what you identify as your gender or your sexuality, <laughs> or all of those various things, it's so much more important for us as a church to remember that our identity is found in Christ Jesus. Our identity is found in who God has made us to be and who God has redeemed us to be and who God has promised we are through Christ. That's where our identity is, not, not in anything else. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to calling Natalia you today, because that's how he's identifying, I guess. No, I think we need to get away from that. I think that's confusing enough as is. I think what that proof is just <laughs> how confusing it is for a person to choose whatever pronouns they want to be addressed as. But, and I was actually thinking about that when you were praying, Mike, because you use the word, look at how many times I just used the word mm -hmm. you. Like imagine if somebody tries to claim the pronoun you for themselves, how confusing that gets, mm -hmm. especially in prayer. You're praying to God and you're saying your will be done, your name, like all those things, like that just makes it super confusing. And I'm sure I'm not alone with that whole confusing thing. So, yeah. yep. But your, no, identity, your identity, Christian, is a baptized child of God, redeemed in Damn. Yep. And that B word was very important. Cling to that one. And so as we look at all of the commandments or words here, we we recognize that, you know, God has given us a, an identity to live in as his people. And some some parts of this were for the time of the nation of Israel in the land of Canaan. But we recognize that there's an element of this that is meant for all of us as his children because it's based in his character as a God of holiness and righteousness down to his very core, if he has a core in that way, but uh, all throughout all of his nature. But it's also something that we're going to see, especially in these commandments 9 and 10 or these words, whatever that this is meant for us all the way to our core, to our soul and our thoughts and intentions and, um, and not just uh, outward obedience to things. But this one really kind of gets like down to heart matters for us um, in a really special way, a really deep way where a lot of the other commandments, you know, you could, you could say, oh, I kept that because I haven't murdered somebody and I haven't cheated on my wife with some other lady and, you know, whatever. But well, as long as you avoid what Jesus has to say about it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, a, it's uh, a good point, Matt. This one does get straight to the heart of things. And because we're not talking about external things. We're not talking about theft. We're not talking about adultery. We're talking about internal heart condition stuff right because i've always thought of coveting as the heart condition behind really the commandment not to steal and the heart condition behind the commandment not to commit adultery 
Um, but yeah. why then would this be added? And if Jesus later is going to go and say, hey, those commandments, they were always about don't lust. Don't right. desire what God has not given you, right? Be contented with what you've got. Why then do we have these commandments sort of reiterated, um, dealing straight with the heart and the intentions instead of just the outward actions? I think it, but like just putting this at the end, I think it really ties a bow on it nicely where it shows that all the way through all of this, God is concerned with and knows about matters of the heart. Um and we we can we have and we could go back and re um re or cover this again that all the way back to the first commandment that it, God was always concerned with our heart condition matters of repentance and faith and uh, matters of conscience all the way through but this one just makes it so clear that even if we think we outwardly are fine and uh a rule follower and somebody who is obeying God's will, you know, this one, this one doesn't let any of us get away without being a lawbreaker. You know, um, this one accuses every one of us because who among us hasn't coveted something that our neighbor has? I don't know. It just seems like God is showing us that, you know, we look at outward things, you know, but God looks at the heart and this exposes all of us, but that he even, I think, as as he's setting this up as their identity for his people, he is concerned about where our heart is at in following him, too, that it's not just about outward um, compliance with his laws, but that he wants us to be as a complete and whole person following him. By the way, contrary to our modern understanding of things, your body and outward things is connected to your soul and what you believe. And you are an entire person, body and soul. And it matters that all of it is together and unified and going according to God's plan and will for your life. Yeah. Along with, um, with what you're saying, Matt, uh, I think it also helps, you know, because God knowing how sinful we are, I think we all know, um, you know, we've all done, you know, this likely to various, you know, degrees, but we all know what it's like to, you know, we know that we are, how, how do I want to say this? Like, we will justify ourselves and excuse ourselves if we can claim that what we are doing is legal, right? That we haven't, we haven't done something illegal, right? So, you know, I may, okay, so I desire my neighbor's property and I scheme to come up with a way that I can get it that doesn't technically break the law of the land, right? Um, coveting, the commandment and the condemnation of coveting says it doesn't matter if you acquired that because you were, you know, clever enough not to technically break the law, but the very motive behind that scheming, that's what's being condemned as well. And so, 
you know, that's, and that's why I think Luther uses that language in his explanation of scheming, you know, because most of, most of the time, you know, people aren't, most people aren't going to try to, you know, if they covet something, they're not going to necessarily like blatantly steal it, but they're going to try to come up with a way in which they can get what they want and they can't be held accountable according to, you know, the law of the land. Um, Mm -hmm as it were and you know but god is saying that scheming itself is condemned yeah and And if you want to see more on that read luther's explanation in the large catechism where he he goes into a lot of detail and different examples of how people do that or did it in his day and he he has this uh, one statement, I'll read uh, one sentence that he says, this last commandment, therefore, is not given for the cheaters in the eyes of the world. It is for the most pious who want to be praised and to be called honest and upright people. So they outwardly look like they're following all the things and they're doing it all legally, like Ben said. But uh, just because they can get away with it and even look good doing it uh, doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, legal and just are not the same thing always. Yeah. Natal, were you going to say something else there? Yeah, I just had a a practical illustration that goes along with that. I had um, a friend who owned a large amount of property, and he had a neighbor that bumpered up against his back lot. And um, his neighbor was slowly starting to remove... Um, brush and making it more livable back there without my friend knowing and he would methodically like take pictures and when my friend finally figured it out he went to the court and he's like hey you know this is all on my property you can see our property line is here and this is here and the judge said yep but he's been uh, taking care of it and he has photo documentation of it with the dates and so technically he now owns the land. Wow. Yeah. It's a very slippery definition of ownership. Yep. Right? Yep. And as long as you can prove <clears throat> that you have been taking care of the land and someone else hasn't, if they don't call you out on it in a timely fashion, you can gain ownership of that land. Wow. That is that- super shady. Yeah, that that would seem to go against the whole idea of owning the deed to the land and having specific boundaries. Hmm. That's wild. That would be like, oh, here, hire me to take care of your land. Oh, I own it now. (laughs) Well, here's the deal, though. It's only because he didn't notice it in a timely amount, like in a timely fashion. And they had photo documentation saying that they had been taking care of the land for X number of months without him. So, like, if you were to notice somebody doing that and you were to write them a letter saying, hey, I noticed that you're on our property. I want you to realize that that's ours. We notice you doing that. Please stop. Then you have the documentation needed in order to care for that if they continue to progress if you don't do anything, I can't remember what that's called. There's a certain name for it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. It, it... So 
it it brings to mind i think the fact that in our world there's a lot of ways where this could happen and you know in in a digital world where we got all these different things that you could take advantage of you know if you're very business savvy good with tax stuff you know maybe you could figure out a way to really uh, get gain an advantage for yourself and there's maybe a certain amount of that that's just being shrewd uh being good making good business decisions and stuff like that um and yet that can also be a, an excuse that you use um to satisfy your coveting uh of other people's things and to just bless yourself and you end up taking from your neighbors um and maybe you're just more business savvy than them and you know the laws better than them you're able to take advantage but ultimately you're taking from other people and you can probably get away with it legally um but ultimately you're not satisfied with what you have and you're taking from other people um through cleverness and and that i don't believe that's right um and so if you're really good at this stuff and taking advantage of things i think you still need to uh, examine your you know examine what you're doing and consider your conscience and really ask yourself if what you're doing is right even if you can get away with it so before we started recording today ben had brought something up that we haven't gotten around to which i think is kind of important but when we're when we're coveting, when we're looking at other people's stuff, when they're wanting their things, whether it be their donkey or whatever, I mean, because that's a thing we all covet a lot, right? <laughs> is oxen and donkeys. But whatever it is, uh, that that hard attitude of coveting that that is wanting things that God has has not provided for you, that He has not given to you, and it's also a lack of trust that God will take care and provide for your needs, isn't it? And so then by coveting, we're also breaking which commandment? Ben, you're supposed Bro, to answer. It was not. your thought, dude. You're supposed to jump right on it. <laughs> Put it right up on the T for you. Well, I guess it depends on how you're numbering it, but it's either the first or the second, right? <laughs> yeah. But you're breaking that commandment to, to not have any other gods. You're trusting in your own ability to do what God has promised to do for you, right? doing it by way of being shady and so it it ties a bow on the commandments and pulls everything together in a in a really nice way in that way as well yeah i mean when we think about the fact that if we really believe that god takes care of us and that he blesses us with what we need and answers our prayers and stuff then we know that what we have is what he wants us to have and to be content with that is faith in god and when you look at something else with covetousness and say, I wish I had that, you're ultimately saying, God, you haven't given me enough. And I don't, I don't, I'm not thankful for what you have blessed me with. Um, you're not doing a good enough job taking care of me, God. And you're also looking then at something that he gave to someone else out of his love and grace to take care of them. And you're wishing that he had given it to you. And so you would rather take it from them and give it to yourself. Ultimately, you're not only doing harm to your neighbor, but 
you are also saying I can provide better for myself than God is providing for me. And that's idolatry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we should just note that it's not, it's not wrong in and of itself to desire things and want things, but um, what is being targeted here is that desire wrongly oriented and the, and the wrong way of going about trying to get it you know that scheming and and that uh focusing you know that desire consuming you to the point where you are are no longer content with what you do have and it becomes envy and and you know coveting and i am being consumed with this and i want it and i'm going to get it any way i can and you know and so so you just don't because sometimes i don't know if you guys ever struggle with that but i have to sometimes of so what's the difference between then, you know, like coveting and just wanting or desiring something, but, but it has that added level of, you know, discontent and also the willingness to, you know, try to scheme and get these things for yourself in ways that are not appropriate. And, yeah. and yeah, just like, you know, what you're hitting on there with Matt too, is that, you know, God knows what, what it is we need. And there are times where he chooses not to give us certain things and we need to accept that from God as well as the good gifts he does give us. Um, <clears throat> and so, but that's hard. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, that's something that we probably need to go into further depth in next week for sure. Yep. You know, being content with what we have and utilizing it in order to glorify God. I think that that's something that we really need to hit on. And so I think next week we would benefit probably from just take springboarding off of what you just said, Ben, and having that be the majority portion of our discussion next week. Could I so, also Mike, make note of that, Mike. I will make yeah. note of that. Could I throw in another one that, um, and you my... got to give us the gospel too, man. You do. Uh, <laughs> and you have to pray for us because I wrote. Okay. That you well, <laughs> uh, one one thing I would like to talk about next time is the idea is God just trying to control our thoughts. That doesn't seem fair and, you know, uh, that he would do that. And uh, I have somebody that accuses God of trying to impose thought control, which he thinks is absurd and also impossible to follow through on. Um, is that what God really wants? Does it why, why does God care about our thoughts and intentions? Um, and, uh, but, you know, as we think about all of this, I think it's just so um, important that we remember that God desires to, you know, change us, you know, entirely, and that um, he cares about <laughs> us on a very personal level, and even what's going on inside of our heart. And he desires to have us trust in him and his heart. And, um, you know, I think about it as a father with my children. I care not just about outward obedience of my children being disciplined and stuff, but I care about their heart. I want them to love each other and to love uh, uh, us as parents. And I want to show them love. And all of this, God shows a real concern for us personally and what's going on in our heart and how, and also protecting our neighbor and their heart. And, and he wants to provide for us. And ultimately, as we've said, 
if we trust that God has blessed us and, and that he's given us what we need, you know, um, we are clinging to him and, and, uh, trusting him wholly. And that's what he wants. Um, and, and, uh, we can also trust that he has provided everything we need. Sometimes we don't feel like we have the things we need in our life. We feel the pinch of finances or, um, or maybe our home isn't as comfortable or as safe as we'd want, uh, you know, maybe you're homeless, whatever, you know, you might feel want, but God is taking care of you. Even when you don't feel it, he loves you even more than the sparrow who he provides for every day, even though they don't work and toil for their food. Um, he loves you more. And we can see that most of all through the giving of Jesus. Um, and even if we die for want of food or clothing or shelter or safety here on earth, we can know ultimately that God has given us everything in Jesus because we trust him in that, especially we know that uh, even if we die for want of things in this life, we will have everything given to us in the end because we are with Jesus. And when we, when we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and for salvation, we are an heir of all things, and God opens the storehouses of heaven for us. He's made a home for us. He's prepared a feast for us. Um, and so um, we can we can really cling to him uh, and believe that, that he loves us, despite all that we experience here in this life. There we go. Thanks, Matt. Will you close us in prayer? Yeah. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and uh, I know sometimes when we are experiencing want in this life, um, or just when we want something more or different or we think is better than what we have, Lord, we can really become discontent and covet these things, and even through tricky means, try to acquire them for ourselves, uh, and and that hurts our neighbors, but it also shows that we aren't really trusting you believing that you are taking good care of us and that you have our best interests in mind. But we see that you do have our best interests in mind, most especially in Jesus, that you gave your only begotten son to die for us, uh, that we might live and that we might, uh, by faith in him, have all things, all good things. And, and so, Lord, may we trust in you and your plan for us, even when it's hard. Uh, Lord, we know that you love us uh, as displayed in Jesus. Uh, and we thank you for Easter and that that was so clearly displayed uh, that, that Jesus, your son, died for us and rose from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.